Welcome to Staffing in Sync, the podcast that brings you live panel discussions featuring the leading experts in the staffing industry and hosted by staffing consultant and trainer, Tom Erb. Staffing in Sync is produced and sponsored by SyncStream Solutions, the top provider of Affordable Care Act compliance for the staffing industry, and Essential Staff Care, the largest provider of health insurance and benefits for the staffing industry. Sit back, relax, and join our expert panelists as we dive into the latest staffing trends, insights, and expert opinions. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us for the um, first podcast of the year for Staffing in Sync. Uh, we're having a live panel discussion featuring some leading experts in the staffing industry. Uh, my name is Tom Erb. I'm uh, excited to be the host for this year. Um, this is the second year of Staffing in Sync, but it's my first time being the host, so I'm excited. And we've got a great panel. I, I can't wait. We were already talking for 10 minutes, uh, <laughs> and uh, we said, geez, we got to save some of this stuff. So I'd like to introduce our panelists just at a, at a high level, and then I'll have each of them talk about themselves a little bit more. Uh, we have Therese Baker, who is president and owner of Abtech. Uh, as well as the current board chair for ASA. We have Lisa Francis, who is president of LJF Consulting. Uh, she's also a former CEO and president of Supplemental Healthcare and Sapmark, and also a former board chair for ASA. And we have Ron Hetrick, who is the vice president of staffing strategy and senior labor economist of Lightcast. He is also the author of The Demographic Drought. So thank you all for joining. Uh, I'm excited to talk about the industry. Our topic for today, is going to be about uh, what's going on with the industry, what's going to be going on with the industry. And I think we all have some unique perspectives to be able to talk about this. Um, so I'm going to start off and just have you guys give a little bit more background about yourself. Lisa, if you want to go ahead and start off. Sure, I'd be glad to. So uh, thanks, everybody, for participating in this. And I hate to even say how many years I've been in the business. So when I start counting it up for a lot of years, I just say over 30, over 35, but it's getting close to 40 now. So it's hard to believe to be in an industry uh, that long. And so I, I did, you know, big chunks of time with different companies. I started with Audia, who later became a Deco after they bought Echo. Then I was with Spherion, who later became a part of Ronstadt. And then, um, as Tom mentioned, I was the CEO of Staffmark and Supplemental Healthcare. And uh, whether brilliant or not, I happened to decide that I was going to semi-retire uh, in March of 2020. So like two weeks after we announced that I was going to not run companies full-time, but kind of move on to what I'm loving, what I'm doing right now is uh, the pandemic hit. So, you know, I know all of you guys have had, you know, an interesting couple of years running companies uh, since then. But I now, um, one of the things I always wanted to do when I retired from running companies full-time was to participate on boards of directors and be advisors. And some of my mentors, as I was growing up, um, had moved into that phase. And so I'm just, I'm having a great time right now um, doing, you know, I'm on five different boards, all of them somewhat related to staffing. And then I'm uh, advising a couple of CEOs that are running, you know, multi-billion dollar firms and uh, just hopefully being a, a help to them as they kind of try to solve problems. So um, I never would have thought that this can kind of be the best time in life. I didn't know that, but now I do. So <laughs> look ahead and look forward. Thanks, Lisa. Therese? Hi, I'm Therese Baker. I am president of Abstract Professional Resources, and I have been in the industry 30 plus years. I always tell people I started when I was five, and um, I've enjoyed it. I've done executive search, retained search. I've been a corporate recruiter. 
I have pretty much done every aspect HR, but I really love the staffing aspect of it. I mean, there's no better job than to give somebody a job. And I am also the uh, chair of the American Staffing Association. So I'm pretty, pretty proud of that. And um, Abtech, we are an IT staffing firm located in the DC area. We do national um, staffing. We are family owned and operated. I think there are seven of us that support the business. So that's a bit of a challenge on its own, but um, love the industry. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Therese. Ron? Ron Hetrick. Uh, background. So I actually came into the staffing industry instead of saying a, a, how many years, I'll tell you when. I actually it came in on April Fool's Day of the year 2000. Uh, I had spent eight years prior to that at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, eventually, I was the supervisor of the payroll uh, employment survey. So every month they come out with the unemployment rate and how many jobs we added. And I was supervising that jobs we added side, which we'll be talking about a little bit of that today. I did uh, about 20 years. I was in Allegis and I uh, got to do a number of different functions, including kind of spinning up a lot of the market analytics side, uh, at one point overseeing data science, um, just spent a lot of time, really passionate, kind of breaking down markets, trying to figure out the economics behind staffing. And then I came to MZ, then MZ Burning Glass, and now Lightcast back in 2020 during the fun times uh, that we all kind of went through. And I've been here ever since, and I'm just really glad to be here. All right, thanks, Ron. So uh, a little bit of my background, I'm Tom Erb. Uh, I am president and founder of Talent Resources. We are a consulting and training company for the staffing and recruiting industry. I've been doing that for 13 years. I was with uh, Olston for six years. They got bought by ADECO. Uh, I was then uh, uh, with Spherion for 10 years. They got bought by Ronsod. I had nothing to do with either of those. It was just a timing thing, but... Uh, but uh, I actually, I'm, I'm thrilled to have this group because um, you know I, I know all three of you. Lisa and I worked at Spherion many years ago. Teresa and I have known from each other for many years. In fact, we were introduced uh, by John Walters from uh, Essential Staff Care, which is one of our uh, one of the um, uh, podcast sponsors. And then uh, Ron, uh, I haven't known for as long. We actually met in person what about two months ago. We spoke at a conference together. But I've been singing Ron's praises for three years now, ever since Demographic Drought came out. Uh, it's uh, it's it's part of my discussion, and 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 I always steer people towards it. I say that I should get commission for referring them, but then Ron said, "Well, we don't actually make anything from Demographic Drought. It's free, free to download." The commission is you're actually getting your commission. I am getting my percentage of the commission. So yeah. So anyways, I'm I'm excited to have all of you on here, and I'm excited about our conversation. We want to just kind of keep this you know, lively and informative. And and uh, I, I guess we'll start off just with, you know, let's talk about the 800 pound gorilla in the room. You know, are we are we in a recession? Are we are we going in a recession? Are we in a downturn? You know, uh, I work with staffing and recruiting firms all day long. And that's the question I get all the time. And, and uh, you know, I have some thoughts on that, but I'll let you guys talk first. So, you know, anybody you'd like to kind of jump in and see what you're, give us your perspective, that'd be great. Let me just, first off, I just want to kick off with something here, and that is, historically speaking, when we talk about a recession and what's a recession and people talk about, well, there's consecutive quarters of negative GDP, but really a key element that if you look at the definition is as accompanied by a spike in unemployment. And, you know, if you look back to last year, we actually had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, but at the time, really, there wasn't anybody really talking about recessions. We were talking about technically speaking or not. Uh, and here we are now, and we're sitting here 
you know, months and months into uh, rate increases by the Fed. And we worked our way up off of a almost all-time historical low of 3.4% unemployment to 3.6% unemployment, which is historically speaking kind of absurdly low. And I think that this is where you kind of get into this issue of why this is all becoming very difficult to analyze and why a lot of economists are getting it wrong. And that is, you're basically looking back at historical actions. When the Fed raises interest rates, they cause things to happen and that usually slows the economy down. But we've never had a labor shortage during a run-up. So a recession takes care of overheating. The economy cools off because it was overheating. And so in this case, we were trying to overheat because we'd put a lot of money into the economy. People were trying to buy goods, but there wasn't anybody to make the goods. Uh, we, we ballooned up to 12 million job openings, but we never really filled them. In fact, we're still around you know, 11 million, 10 million job openings, which is still historically speaking, an absurdly high number. So I think what's happening is a lot of traditional economists are looking back on history, trying to say, well, this is what's going to happen. But this isn't history anymore. We're, in, we're defining a new history right now. So I would just say that as a general over, you know, view of what's happening right now. Uh, but I'll leave it to the others to kind of comment about, you know, it's also kind of what you feel and what we're kind of seeing in the industry, which I know some people are out there going, hey, it feels like we're in a recession. And I will talk about that more as this goes on. So I would I would say what um, it was interesting is I've been talking to friends, let's say a year and a half ago, and they go to you, what do you think? Because always before I'd be like, hey, the industry I'm in, you guys, I can tell you six months before it's going to happen, because particularly in the commercial staffing part of the industry, you almost always see it. And we were not seeing it. I mean, pay rates were strong. Bill rates were strong. Demand was strong. Mm -hmm. But I would say about August last year, with many of the, the companies I'm working with, people started saying, hey, are you hearing anybody else talk about job orders declining a little bit? Hey, are you hearing direct hire slow down? Hey, are you here? And so slowly over like August to October, I think everybody that I spoke to was beginning to feel something that felt like a beginning of something. Um, it feels like to me, it may not be a full on what I would call a recession because the ones I have worked through over my career of 40 years, pretty steep, steep cliff. You just jump, you just fall off of it. And this seems like more of a, a downturn, at least at this point, you know, that it is feeling like it's, it's not going to have the same um, dramatic impact uh, because of what you said, Ron, the, the demand is still so high just for talent in general. And those are many things around the demographics that I'm sure you'll speak more to uh, as we go through this. But I do think that um, there is a bit of a slowdown. I'm actually even hearing over the last few weeks, a few people like being a little more optimistic. So we'll see where, where that goes. But I would say definitely we're in, you know, we're beginning to see a little bit of a, of a downturn. I think we're going to have, you know, a couple quarters that aren't going to feel great. But I will say almost everyone I'm talking to is beginning to believe that by year end, uh, we'll start seeing maybe some growth again in some of those sectors. And I know some sectors have held up better. Professional services had and others. But anyway, that's what I'm kind of seeing as a broad base of. I think it's often interesting in staffing as you go to the events and you go to the places and everybody kind of tells one piece of the story, but I'm kind of now back behind the curtains with a lot of people there. I know the full truth. So it's a little bit different. You know, it's not like, Hey, I'm positioning this because a competitor may hear it. So uh, that's at least what I'm hearing. And you know, what, what I would, would say, I believe is happening. Yeah. And Lisa, I would say the same thing. Um, I've heard people call this a white collar recession right? Because of all the layoffs that have been going on with, you know, uh, Amazon and Facebook, et cetera. Um, 
but yeah, I think the government definition versus what we're feeling is kind of where we are, right? And you touched on that. What is the formal definition of recession? And I'm like you, I feel that there is some slowing, but we are a government contractor. So there is a lot of business out there for government contractors. And then yeah. I just reviewed our pipeline yesterday. So in that respect, that is not slowing, but the talent shortage is going to be the problem. So right. no problem. Well, and maybe in some respects, the talent shortage is also helping us go into that recession too. Is it fair to say? So, yeah, um, you know, I, um, you know, with we've this this group has been through recessions. You 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 would know it was a recession, or you know, I mean, usually it takes you a little time to know, but then you really know, especially in our industry. And and I I think uh, when you think about it. Yeah, the Great Recession happened 14 years ago, and we've had this period of growth ever since. You've got two generations in the workforce that, that for the most part, didn't didn't experience a bit of a slowdown. And so I think that that may be some of what we're seeing. Um, I also think that it's, it's one of those things where over the past year, what I've seen is that the phone was ringing by non-traditional staffing and recruiting prospects. The, the people who in the past uh, had always been able to fill their jobs on their own were calling in to staffing companies going, we need help with servers and with, you know, all these different kind of non-traditional positions. And the, the, you know, I mean, been doing it for 28 years. When did the phone ring before the last couple of years? I mean, it, it just didn't ring. Well, now the phone has stopped ringing a little bit. I also think we're seeing, and Ron, you can probably speak to this. It, it's it seems like wage inflation has slowed. It was for it, it was insane yeah. at the beginning of last year for about six months, and it depends on the the market. But uh, I think that is that has changed a lot as well. Yeah, you know, when you look at that, for sure, I I feel that sometimes the data sometimes data lags in picking up things that are we're kind of already feeling, and mm-hmm. I think. Right now, you're not really seeing, you know, actually still kind of get these increases in, you know, average hourly earnings and such. But I, I mean, the vibe on the street and what, you know, what I get from talking to companies is they kind of drew a line in the sand towards the end of last year, like enough, like I can't, I can't go any higher. And I think what a lot of people realized was it wasn't giving them anything. You know, people were increasing pay rates and for what? To watch somebody come in the door and walk out again in a month. It wasn't, hap- it wasn't causing retention. It wasn't getting you a better quality workforce. It was just wage inflation. And I think after a while, employers adapt and adapting could mean several things. It could mean turning down certain business going forward or not accepting, you know, if you're a construction company, not accepting additional contracts. It could mean keeping a part of your restaurant shuttered because you're just going to go with a smaller wait staff. Um, and that's a way that you can kind of deal with ballooning labor costs is by just keeping your demand side more in check. And I really feel that we saw businesses making that adjustment towards the end of last year. You see it right now in manufacturing companies that are kind of flexing their production without flexing their workforce. They don't really need to lay off because they were kind of abusing people last year. And now they're able to kind of distribute this and produce things on a more predictable pattern coming in. So I think all of those things are required. 
Yeah. Yeah. I definitely am seeing with the companies I'm working with that wage inflation is not happening real time. It's it's slowed down. And I think we're getting close to that. We're going to wrap year over year. If you look at the staffing industry in general, much of the growth last year has been around wage increase and bill rate increase, not unit increase. Total different scenario. And, you know, if you really look at unit increase, and that's what so many people are now measuring themselves against, you know, year over year and that kind of thing versus just that. I think we're about to wrap that one number that will be wage and bill rate, and now it's going to have to come through some kind of unit increase, hours increase to really see growth in, in the industry. Yeah. And I think that's actually great for us as consumers and the overall economy. This whole, you know, the only way we're going to get inflation down is once that's wrapped, right? Once you're year over year on wage inflation, you can now start seeing something that's going to make people feel like, okay, we're, we're now not seeing that huge increase, but companies can't necessarily operate on less profit, right? So right. once they've got to capture all of that. So hopefully we're we're close on that. And that's good for us both, you know, just immediately here in our US economy. But ultimately, if we can't get that under control, it makes us less competitive globally. You know, I mean, I think that's the other thing people have to keep in mind is for us to be competitive and not start offshoring. I mean, you know, a lot of things have come onshore. Now they're, you know, we keep this up and it's going to start going offshore other places. So there's all those things to consider around the business. But I do think that uh, we're getting closer on, at least on the on the wage side, from what I'm seeing in almost every sector. Well, I think it's a great point because we saw obviously healthcare had the biggest the, the COVID um, rates and all that, and that's come back down, and and so that artificially increased some areas. And then there's other areas, you know, you got like industrial where uh, seasonal. Uh, we've seen we've seen seasonal differentials bigger than ever before. And so, you know, that come back down a little bit. So I do think we'll start looking at apples to apples a little more. The one thing that, that we've seen is that um, there has not only been not necessarily as much growth on client size, but also length of assignment, length of assignment keeps shrinking. And, you know, we've seen many of our clients where length of assignment is half of what it was before. And it, there just hasn't been enough focus on that length of assignment, but it's, you know, it doesn't matter if you bring them in at whatever rate they're at, if they don't last very long. And so uh, it's, uh, you know, that's one of the areas that we're really focused on is if, if we don't have enough people, and we're going to talk about that more later, um, but if we don't have enough people and we all agree we don't, then we got to keep them as long as we can. They, they become more and more valuable. And Tom, I wanted to just add, you know, it's really impacted my organization from my staff or recruiters, um, because you had these big companies like Amazon saying, hey, I'm going to hire your recruiters, I'm going to pay them six figures, and then the recruiters, it's gone, and now they've been put off. Right. Now that's adjusting itself. But I also know that in the government sector, we do a lot of cleared recruiting, that those wages are still going to be high because you need people who have those high-level clearances. Yep. It's still going to be the challenge of, oh my gosh, I've got a cleared person. I've got three or four companies that want to hire that cleared person. And then to go back to what you talked about, about the length of assignment that, you know, the phone is ringing because people need people. They can't do it on their own, but they want them full time. Yeah. So the assignment length is shrinking in that respect. Yeah. Great. I want to pause just for a second and tell everybody who's listening that, um, we want this to be interactive. So if you have any questions you want to ask, put it in the Q&A part and uh, I'll pay attention to the questions. And as we as we get them, we'll uh, we'll ask everybody. And if you have, some, have a question that you want 
to ask a specific panelist, please put their uh, their name in there as well. So, um, oh, there's already one. Jeez, that was quick, Janet. Uh, to clarify by length of assignment, do you mean temp work or tenure or are clients contracting for shorter assignments? Uh, good question. Um, what I'm referring to is temporary contract uh, length of assignment. How many hours? Uh, we also take a look at gross profit dollars per hour and take a look at what's the average gross profit. Um, and that's really helpful too, is the cost of of um, recruiting continues to increase. And I don't know what everybody else is seeing on the on this panel, but you know, we're running those kind of numbers of what cost per new start is for my clients. And it's usually in the range of $250 to $400, just pure costs like directly associated. I don't know if you guys have ever done anything like that, have any kind of different numbers or same numbers. Uh, but if you're doing that, and let's say you're doing, you know, lower level positions where you're making four or five bucks an hour, an hour. you got 70, 80 hours before you even break even, right? So, so I don't know, have you guys looked at anything like, like, um, uh, you know, cost per new start or anything like that? Yes, definitely. Uh, have looked at it from, you know, cost of, you know, acquisition for kind of what the top of the funnel, each phase of the funnel, and then a start. Yeah. And try to better understand that in terms of, you know, how much do you, what's a start per indeed, what's a start to refer referral, what's a start through, you know, all the different mechanisms. I think it's, yeah. you know, I think companies in general have gotten much more sophisticated about that generally the last decade of trying to measure that and under, understand that. So we're, yes, and I agree with Lisa. We're also smarter in respect to that, the return on investment for all of our applications and tools, right? And if there's something that's not getting us the return that we need, then we eliminate it or try something different. Um, so we've gotten much better at that as well. Yeah, there's an interesting study that came out uh, just a few months ago that looked at uh, different recru recruiting sources. And one of the things they found was that um, their clients, it was done by this, um, I, I'm blanking on the name of the company right now, but it was, uh, they manage um, their client spend and, and do data on uh, different recruiting sources. And they were showing that, uh, in this particular data, job postings from 2020 to 2021 had gone up 49 percent, mm -hmm. yet applications had gone down 30 some percent. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it's it, you know, obviously the ROI is changing so fast mm -hmm. on that that we really have to know what we're doing if we're going to even you know accept certain types of jobs. Right, and we do that monthly on all yeah. of our tools, our recruiting tools and applications. We run an ROI on that. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Um, another question here. Does it truly matter if we are in a recession? <laughs> Good question. If client <laughs> companies believe we're in a recession, that becomes the reality, whether the Fed says we're in a recession or we meet the de definition of a recession. If we behave as if we're in a recession, do we not cause it to occur? Boy, we actually talked right before this. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. I, I do want to address this. I saw that question come in. There's no time in any history that consumer sentiment causes a recession i just that's something that does come up a lot is well if everybody pulls back then you get a recession no what you get is a temporary slowdown as people mm -hmm. kind of reassess the market and then once people start to realize you know you can say well i just i think i'm going to cut back but if your orders keep coming in and you start fulfilling your orders then the numbers are going to keep running and then as people are trying to fill their orders and they're giving you more orders because you're an input good to their 
uh, product, then you have to do things. So I want to make sure that I clarify something because I did this on LinkedIn about a week or two ago. We still have a tremendous housing shortage. We still, historically speaking, have some of the lowest active listings uh, of homes in this country for sale ever. Like it's incredible to see how few homes are for sale. And that's why home prices are still about 30% overinflated. We have, historically speaking, the lowest number of automobiles for sale uh, that we've ever seen. We have the lowest auto inventories that we've ever seen. So there's a lot of money. So if you think about it like this, we have a 3.6% unemployment rate. What does that mean? That means that pretty much everybody who wants a job has a job and they've just come through a pretty significant year of wage inflation, even though regular inflation ate into that. But people have jobs. When you have a job, you spend money. You, if, if you know anything about Americans, we don't save. So we, we're spending money. So as when we look at consumer spending, it's incredibly healthy. In fact, if we look at even the most recent quarter, yes, it eased off of goods, which is why staffing companies are feeling it because staffing serves that good side, warehousing, manufacturing, logistics, distribution. Uh, staffing does a really poor job on the services side, restaurants, hotels. That's where the money's flowing right now. And we actually look at those numbers. They did pretty well. And consumers have a lot of money now. We're not seeing, I mean, you, you get a, high, a couple of high profile layoffs, but don't misunderstand those high profile layoffs. IT unemployment is still extraordinarily low. A lot of those layoffs were H-1B. So then I'm gonna show up in our numbers. Uh, if we look at our unemployment, the amount of unemployment claims, 1.684 uh, million. That historically speaking is the same level that we had back in 1972. Uh, despite the fact that our population has grown dramatically. So, you know, a lot of people with jobs, spending money keeps an economy going, not how you feel about it, but how you do it. And then companies will react to what consumers do. So that's why, you know, it's really hard. I'm not in the recession camp. I, I'm not calling for one uh, just because I think the fundamentals of what it's going to take to get us there, it's going to, it's going to have to be catastrophic. And a lot of people go, Oh, you mean like Silicon Valley Bank, you know, going under? I'm like, no, like a literally a completely catastrophic event in the economy. So I think if we just keep running, rolling along, people keep spending money, you can kind of manage your way through this. Um, I will say this, because it's the most important part, and I've been saying this since the middle of last year. Had we actually hired the people to fill those 12 million job openings? Yes, you would have seen seven, 10 million layoffs. But yeah. we didn't. So you can't lay off what you didn't hire. And that's the thing I always want to make sure we drive home is the economy was trying to overheat, but it just couldn't do it in the way that it wanted to. So it's kind of keeping us from re having a recession to take care of what could have happened because it just didn't happen. Yeah. I'd say one of the points on the, on the question on does it matter if we're in a recession or not, it probably doesn't in a way. I mean, we're dealing with whatever we're dealing with. But I would say if you think your buyer is in a recession mindset, you can probably take action to help overcome that to some extent. And, you know, it's kind of funny to me because we're going to talk, if we get time about, you know, what do we see in the future? And there's many, many things that have changed in the industry, but some of the basics of the business, I've laughed because it's the same as it was 30 years ago when I started. But like to me right now, what people can do is we all know our buyers go and they look at line items and they see contract labor get that $3 million out of here. That's the first thing the CFO is going to talk about and that kind of thing, because they, they're not understanding the difference of the cost structure or what's really productivity out of that. And so how can we help, you know, to go to our client and kind of use that old paper tool I had back in, you know, the eighties where you build up what your bill rate looks like versus their total cost of employee and help them understand that that's not necessarily where they're going to save any money. And, you know, maybe having flexibility in their workforce is more important than, than the 
other than having the full-time employee. So I think there's things that we can do because we know people are going to behave like we're in one or a certain group of our buyers are going to. So how do we overcome that in our conversations with them, our education with them that might make their buying patterns change? Because I've seen many companies change their strategy when we've helped them understand those dynamics. So, yeah. You're right, because um, we have that cost comparison sheet that we've used for many, many years. And, and just showing that to the customer, hey, take a look at this and compared to your internal full-time, you know, that is not necessarily the best decision to make is to let that person go. Yeah. Well, and, and this is a great opportunity for us to be more consultative to our clients, because yes. as our mm -hmm. clients are, are starting to get anxious, they're going to be looking for answers. And so we can be that answer for them and we should be proactively reaching out to them and, and talking about this is what the situation is. This is what we're seeing. You know, you know, the majority of people that are listening and watching this are in the staffing industry and they have better exposure to the market than their clients do. They see a broader swath of what's going on. So they can go back to them and say, let me tell you what we're seeing in the market. And let me tell you how you can, can uh, adjust to this. Um, you know, the other thing I would say is that the, the question uh, about does it truly matter? It, I, I think it, it's a good question because um, recessions to me are very individualized. You could have your neighbor on the left that's laid off and you could have the neighbor on the right that just got promoted right. in the same exact economy. It happens all the time. You can have one of your branches that's doing great and another one that's that's really struggling. And I think I think we're seeing that a lot. Uh, and the one other thing that I would say too is that you know so much of this is self fulfilling. So Ron, you were talking about that that you know consumer sentiment can't drive this, but at a at a individual level, at an individual company level, it's cert it certainly can influence them. And it you down is what you yeah. do because you. So what we're seeing right now, if you look at it even though on the overall jolts report, you're just not seeing it as much as we kind of see it in our lightcast data is, I think right now we're in a process of people laying off job openings. So they're not laying off people, they're laying off job openings. And your reason you're doing that is you're like, look, ramping up when the wave's coming in is seems like a pretty bad idea. So until you're sure what that wave's gonna feel like, you probably wanna hold your ground. And I think what's happening right now is there's a bit of that. Now, if you're in the warehouse space, What's happening to you is something I was calling for by mid-year last year, and that is when logistics chains started to get unplugged and products actually started to move, we knew that the logistics channel was grossly overbloated. I mean, we look at the historical growth pattern of the warehousing and transportation industry. It had taken a very unnatural turn, and it needs to get back to its growth line. And I think it's doing that right now. So your orders are slowing down because there was bloat that needs to be corrected. This is actually going to come if we I don't forget we have another question I think we were going to talk about but it comes to another point and that is it's real easy when the fountain's running full open to stick your cup under one faucet and just drink and be like this is great realize and you didn't even look at any of the other ones maybe they weren't coming out as fast as that but you didn't even try and so you're so overexposed to a sector that when it slows down it's going to hurt so the the secret of that is is diversifying into different sectors that are a little bit more immune i just wrote an article for forbes on that uh, if you go to my linkedin it has the link for it but i just talk about that i get it you everybody wants the easy money but when the easy money stops you're in a lot of pain and that's usually because like i said you got a little too focused 
So, Ron, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because um, I'm not in the construction staffing business. But if I were in construction staffing, what an opportunity we have right now, right? Because there are so many high school students, even students who may not necessarily want to finish a college degree, where they can go into a trades. I mean, we've taught our kids that you need a college education to be a professional. But how excited do you get when that HVAC person shows up in a hundred degree temperature to fix your AC, right? So, and, and we devalue that on the, 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 when they're younger, but we value it now. I just heard a data point this morning that there's a half a million construction jobs out there. Boy, what, what I, if I were in the construction staffing business, what I, I've got a whole plan in my head of what I would be doing. What an opportunity for us to, to, to make placements in that area. But I'm not in construction staff. <laughs> you don't want to <laughs> diversify article, in that area? Thank you for plugging my last article. So the last article I wrote was called, Who's Going to Do the Work? It's about skilled trades. If you haven't read it, I go right okay. for that point of, you've got to pay attention. There's a lot of skilled trades jobs that are now overtaking college jobs. And we've yep. been beating that college drum so much. Uh, that I think we're starting to lose sight of the fact of there's critical jobs that are going to keep this country running mm -hmm. that are not college. And I, and I think anything parents can do, guidance counselors can do to stop saying the same, beating the same message into everybody's kid uh, that you're going to have to do this. You can do it eventually. I mean, my dad got a college degree in his 40s. Like, there's other jobs out there and they make really good money. And I think we need, need to do a better job of presenting this opportunity. Apprenticeships. Um, training. I mean, I would be going to my clients, my construction clients, say, listen, I can get you some high school kids. Let's get them under a um, apprenticeship. I mean, my dad was a plumber. My daughter wants to be a plumber. Be a plumber. I mean, you know, we, we America is built on what we build, right? So yeah. anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to answer a, another question here. Um, how can we help each other in this group to survive this unexpected market change situation? I work for IT and healthcare pharma staffing company from New, New Jersey office. We are struggling for reliable companies who could help us grow. Anybody have thoughts on, on that question? Sounds like they're, they're struggling a little bit. They've had a bit of a downturn. Uh, maybe find some partners. That's one of the things we've done. You know, we talk about, um, you know, there's only so many pieces of a pie that's out there. So let's share it. So maybe find a partner who has another opportunity in a different wheelhouse than you do and partner together and chase that. We're doing it. We've got some, um, uh, we have a mentor protege program we've developed. So we've got some veteran owned businesses that we're working for. So we can go after veteran owned opportunities that we can't because we're not veteran owned. Um, so I think really look at your partnership and maybe um, either be a protege or be a mentor. Yeah, I think it's a great, it's a great point that, you know, now is a great time to be belong to organizations, to belong to your local staffing association, to belong to the national ones, um, because now's the time to have that, that network internally where you've got somebody you're talking to that you develop a relationship with and they go, I don't do what you do, but I get people who ask me all the time. I would love to have a referral partner for that. I think it's a great, great point. Other thoughts on on kind of this, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reading into this, that it's an unexpected market change of, we used to have a bunch of orders, now we're struggling for orders, which is, we are hearing some of that. Well, I, I think that, you know, I think about over the years, like the amount of time, you know, spent on 
including me, fighting against MSPs and VMS and, you know, all of this, and I'm going to get not as good of orders and I'm not going to get as good a bill rates or get as good margin. And, th- and that's true in many situations, but it also isn't true in every situation. And in fact, in companies I've worked for and led, when we really went down and we anal- analyzed that, that wasn't true. We actually were getting better bill rates through a VMS than we were through some of our direct clients. And so I would say, you know, it's it's kind of just another theme on what Teresa is saying, like, you know, go find partners and different people you could work with that might have access to orders. Because if you think about this right now, people are, if they're beginning to get less orders, they're not going to buy outside the system. They're going to buy through the system and they're going to buy through procurement. And if anyone's going to be laying down orders right now, you cannot buy anything outside of procurement. It's going to be anybody that's struggling right now financially of our buyers. So I would say explore that and, and you know, Yes, there's good and bad about all those, you know, however you get the, you get those orders. But if that is one of the things, um, you know, like I said, I, w- I was one of them that thought it for a long time. And, uh, and I think you just, you may f- try to find the right partner that that works for you and, and meets what your financial uh, goals are. And, you know, Ron made a statement about diversifying, right? But you can also diversify your orders. So everybody wants that client who's going to give you 50 job orders. Well, that's not necessarily how it works. It's very hard to come by. But if you've got 50 clients with one order and then another order and then order, you know, that's the way to do it. Right. My father-in-law has this saying that he says it all the time. (laughs) I'm I'm like, oh, I already said that. It's a tree with many roots survives the drought. Correct. So... I've seen people in my last company who hit a contest, uh, you know, literally selling to every mom and pop shop in town and everybody knew this person and they were phenomenal at the relationships. And I think, you know, you have sometimes you have a sweetheart deal in your market where you have one or two clients and they're sending you a ton of business and that feels really good. And you can ride that, you know, train for, for quite a while, but sometimes those companies go bankrupt or sometimes anything else. And I think it's that, um, you can't ever stop working. And I think when things are right now, we're in a pause and, and a lot of industries we're in a pause. And I think, I think right now everybody's looking for that. Hey, help me find, you know, help me find business. I'm panicking everything. What's interesting to me is last year, you know, talking to our multiple of our clients saying, look, I've more orders than I've ever had before, but I can't fill any of them. And now we're to a point where how fast it turned where people were like, Oh, wow. Uh, now I'm not, you know, I'm just not getting the order flow that I was getting. Well, you kind of sometimes have to slow down with that. You can't expect the same throughput. You may have to make some pauses internally. Uh, what I caution people is just be careful because let's say confidence starts to return. Let's, let's say after a while people start to realize, hey, all of these rate increases really aren't changing anything. And yeah, I do notice that my warehouse is starting to get empty now. I'm going to have to replenish those goods. You know, you want to be there. You want to be ready. So what happens sometimes is during downturns, people get sloppy and they just start, you know, cutting everything. And now you're not ready to grow when it grows. So, you know, always take advantage of your, your downtimes to, to be ready to, to be big again. And Ron, I think another thing with that is your NPCs, your most placeable candidates. Mm-hmm. As an industry, I have seen that we're very poor at this. We get a really good candidate, but we don't have a current job, right? So... If you've got those, whoever asked the question, if you've got those candidates that you've already vetted, you've already screened, you know they're great, go out and reverse market those candidates clients that you're currently working with. And you may find a job that you didn't know was out there. Yeah. 
I, I, I totally agree. I think the, you know, the MPCs, skill marketing, whatever, there's 18 different yeah. you know, <laughs> things that people call it, but it's where you have that marketable in-demand candidate, mm-hmm. not the purple squirrel that nobody needs, but, and, and not the person that is applying to absolutely everything on the job boards, but that one that, that usually is more of a passive candidate, but they're starting to kind of test the waters. We call them semi-active candidates. They're, they're, they're the window shoppers. That's, those are the ones that you want to be able to go out and market. And, and that's, that's the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah, the other piece is to go back to all your clients and get them out to lunch, get them out to breakfast. Yeah. I, as, as I talk to my clients and as I go and speak and train across the country, people have stopped interacting in person. They got out of the habit during COVID. It hasn't come back yet. And I talk to people all the time and go, what's the last time you took one of your clients out to lunch? And they go, you know what? We used to do that all the time. Hmm. I go, okay, well, let's start doing it again. And if you're not doing it, somebody else might be. But if they're not doing it, then you have an opportunity. And, you know, we all know being on this call, you know, just having breakfast or lunch with somebody, just having a meeting with it, good things happen. You start to have conversations that you don't have if you're just exchanging texts or emails or even on the phone. You know, do it, do it in person. You know, I, I tell people all the time, uh, in the 28 years I've been doing this, there was never one day where we had exactly as many candidates as we did jobs. It was never like a perfect day, right? There's always too much of one, not enough of the other. And we're starting to see it shift a little bit, but some of it is also, well, I'm used to having 500 open jobs. Now I only have 200 open and I'm starting to get a little antsy. Um, but I think that over the last 13, 14 years, where we've been going towards this talent shortage and where we've had lots of jobs and we've had more opportunities, a lot of the industry's gotten complacent about the sales side. And Ron mentioned it earlier where we hear it all the time. Why would I go out and sell? I got too many jobs to fill as it is. Well, this is why, because it can turn on you very quick. And the other thing is too, you've got really, you've got a bunch of jobs, but are they any good? Are they, are you, are you, compromising on those jobs. If there are a bunch of jobs you can't fill, a bunch of clients that aren't very attractive, that that don't do a good job of communicating with you, that their pay rates aren't good. Well, yeah, you got a bunch of jobs, but it's it's stuff you can't fill. So, you know, best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. Next best time to plant a tree is today. Get out and sell. And, and uh, you know, that, that's, that's my biggest piece of advice to everybody, particularly the person who asked the question is, got to sell, get out and sell, bring in new clients. Um, Let's see here. Um, According to the panel, what do they think will be the primary bottleneck when it comes to the problem, the inflated pay rates sorting itself out? Not sure exactly. Anybody want to take a stab at that? Not sure exactly. I have to talk about it all the time, so I'll take a stab at it. Okay, good. All right, good. Uh, So I don't think we're in a situation where at least through 2038, you're ever going to see a labor surplus again. So I don't think we're in a situation where you could see pay necessarily. It's not going to go back to where it was. And it really probably was a little low. I think in some sense, one of the things I keep talking about is people have to understand that a lot of the pressure that was occurring that continues to occur in our economy is that we are really good at creating kind of sub $20 an hour jobs, but we really don't have a lot of people to fill those jobs. And so what's happening is you're starting to get this ballooning effect in the middle. So people who kind of, uh, I'd say staff accountant level people will just, I'll use that as a token profession, but there kind of is a balloon there. We're hearing companies saying that they open a job and they're getting 
you know, 50 applicants in a day for something, and then you have somebody who opens a job for a maintenance mechanic and they get one applicant over three weeks. And I think that this is still continues to be a problem where you, if you start to get wage softening, be aware that that is usually occurring because there's a, a plentiful amount of people, not because somebody offered a lower wage, because just because you offer a lower wage doesn't mean anybody good is going to take that wage, keyword there being good. Uh, we're starting to get people re-entering the labor force. You know, we are starting to get some labor force participation increases. It's small. Now, the concern here is some of these people have been out of the labor force for two years, and a lot of your clients aren't going to want to talk to them. Right. So they're going to want to talk to that person who actually stayed in the labor force, has been working hard this whole time. And those people, their wages have now been bid up. You know, they're now $20 an hour when they were 14. The people coming in, they'll take the 14 to 16, but the client's not going to be happy. So that's, you got to understand, like, wage pressure is kind of this huge holistic term for, well, what do you want? Do you want a really good worker for a cheap wage? No. But if you want a worker, yeah, you, you might be able to do something on the cheap, but don't, you know, can't come crying about quality aspects with that. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> do you think, um, it, it just adding to that, do you think at some point, or maybe you're already seeing it, that, that wage inflation would get to a point that it would pull some of the early retirees back in? Didn't happen last year. <laughs> so we look at the labor force participation rate for people above the age of 55. It's, it's stuck. It never moved. So it came up flat, uh, flat line, came up flat line. And now we're sitting here with two and a half years out and it's still, it's just yeah. not recovering. I cover all of this when I speak. And that the big part is the wealth accumulated in that population was pretty strong. And even if they come back in, they're not going to engage in the way that you would want them to. And it's funny because some of the initial articles about people re-engaging were people who were becoming, I remember one guy opened a Taekwondo studio. Another one's like, you know, I had to go back to doing consulting. And I'm like, look, that's not, no, that's not fair. <laughs> like what people are saying is, are you going to come back and take my call, my call center job? job like, right. No, they're not going to do that. Uh, and that's just when we talk about re-attracting that, uh, that retired population, they're going to do things like my dad did, like work at the golf course as a ranger. You know, it's better to be yelled at by a golfer driving around a cart all day than, you know, answering the phone, being yelled at by strangers. So I think this is what we always have to understand is what would it mean to bring them back? And then secondarily to that is that is not a solution. OK, I'm going to really pay up and maybe I can get people to unretire. And how does that solve our problem? Right. I would much rather you look at your labor strategy, uh, pay reasonably, provide a great job for people automate what you can, combine jobs, you know, rotate jobs, work on things that are going to make the experience better so you can actually fill the jobs in the long run versus Band-Aid fixes like, well, I'm going to balloon the pay up for a little bit, but it's still the same cruddy job. Yeah, Ron, I'm one of those people that you, that you were talking about. I, a retained search person that I love uh, called me probably a year ago and said, there's this job open that you and like five other people in the country could fill any chance you would let me put your name in. And I'm like, there is not a package you put together that would interest me to, you know, because you do, it's interesting. I never even thought this, but you know, when you get to a certain stage in life, you're like, no, I don't, I don't want that full-time responsibility right. of it. That's right. I still hope I'm making meaningful, you know, impact, but it's just different. And so I, I think you're right. I mean, that's probably not where we should be spending our time because it isn't, it isn't going to solve the problem long-term anyway, but. And they're just going to retire again in another year or two. So right. what did you do with that? 
That's right. right. But there is an opportunity there, right? I mean, there is an opportunity, especially you mentioned call center, where you may have a call center where you have retirees who want to just work four hours a day because they want to keep their brain fresh and they want to, you know, talk with people because, you know, we've read everything that says if you sit on your sofa, it's like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. So if, if we can get call center jobs shared with retirees. And I do know people who are doing that. I mean, that is a really good opportunity. So I always try to look at the opportunity side um, and it might not solve our problem, but at least in the short term, it would make that person happy, the client happy, and we have a billable person in that seat. So I love well, that concept of what's your did right there. Like that's reinventing the job. And yeah. that's what I want people to okay. see. Because when I hear, I'm just going to increase pay until somebody is willing to come back in. I'm like, that's not the answer. But if you're like, hey, I'm willing to, you know, locate this closer retirement community, but I still want to talk to these people first. Like, hey, we put up a sign-up sheet every day and somebody could say, I'm going to sign up for those three hours because I have nothing else to do that. Great yeah. idea. Very cool. Very flexible. Such a, a creative plan. But I, don't, I think a lot of people are like, no, that's too, that's going to take me too long. I need to, I need this job filled right now. So I'm just going to try another dollar. And then another dollar, and and at that point, we end up in this kind of same situation. I agree. Well, yeah. and I was um, I was speaking at a conference this morning about about just the future of talent acquisition, and it was a um, uh, here in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, you know, I asked the question about part time work. I said, "How many people have changed and, and offer part time or flexible options?" And there were probably seventy five people in the room, and four raised their hand. Right. Four. And I go, you know, you, you've got to realize that you've got all of these different demographics now that are wanting part-time work for all these different reasons. You've got your, your retirees, semi-retirees, you, you got the Gen Xers that are, that are starting to retire, you know, early and, but still want to do things. You've got other generations that are wanting two or three part-time jobs, right? I mean, Ron, I think you talked about it in your demographic drought about, about that they want multiple part-time jobs. Well, they still need to get benefits somewhere. So can you offer part-time people benefits? Can you give them flexibility? There's, there's, you know, Lisa, you, you know, this well coming from healthcare, healthcare has been doing part-time flexible work for decades, but other, other professions and other industries aren't doing that. So. There's a misperception that if I have two part-time people doing one job, it's going to take more of my time when in reality it doesn't. Then you do have that flex work schedule. And I think we need to change that perception. Yeah. I mean, does it take more time to manage two people or to have that position empty? You know, if you hire two good people, then it may be less work, but if you hire one bad person, that's going to take you more. Right. It's, right. it's always going to be the funnel at the beginning. And, uh, you know, staffing companies have an onus in that as well. Do your job up front, screen a candidate really well. Uh, that client, you know, everybody's going to tell you. I get solicitations every day from staffing companies. Oh, you see you have openings. I don't personally, but our company's had some things and I'm like, like, I'm not hiring. But what's different? You know, where's that testimonial of, man, everybody we place, our clients just rave about it. And once again, this is the time. If you're in a law right now, make sure you really lock down you know, you're screening things, make sure every person you provide is just phenomenal and they're finishing their assignments successfully. And, you know, I think there's just so many things you can do around that. 
Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting because I can now kind of be that Monday morning quarterback because I'm not running the companies anymore. But one of the things that I look at as an industry and including me again, I'm guilty of all these things I now can see is that we spend so much time and energy. Like Tom asked that question. Do you know what it costs you for every start? Do you know what it costs you for every piece of the funnel? We, many, many companies have gotten excellent at that. They can measure that. They know the cost of each one of them. They know when they're off of that. But I think where we generally as an industry really fall short, and I still think we're falling short from the companies I'm working with and that kind of thing is we don't really measure to the same degree and have the same focus and have the same conversations as many hours of conversation around, do we have the job, Susie's job ends two weeks from now, do we already have Susie pre-placed? And, you know, my teams, we used to talk about, it, I'm like, how many of you guys would be not looking for another job if you didn't know where your paycheck was coming for in two weeks from now. You would right. be looking. And we don't spend near the amount of time on that. And, and if there was a way we could shift our time and energy to that is many people leave working for a staffing firms not because they don't love the flexibility, the pay's fair, there's all those things. But it is unnerving. It's unnerving to know where you're going to go next. And so how do we as an industry think about spending more time about that, giving people reassurance on how we're going to make them? And I know we've all tried to build benches where we pay people full time, and that's all hard. Uh, but is there a way that we can put in processes that give people confidence because they are just like we are next, you know, you want to know where your paycheck's going to come from. And we don't spend enough time on that. It's like, great. We placed them now. Who's our right. new candidate? Where's our candidate? Where's our candidate? Candidate, candidate, candidate. Instead of how do we really make these people feel like I am going to take care of them and that they do not need to leave my company, my staffing firm to go somewhere else. I, I think lots of time we could spend on that. I think it's, um, I, I think one of the, one of the issues is that, I, I have I take issue with the title of recruiter because in direct hire, yes, you are recruiting and then you're moving on to the next one. In contract staffing, the work has just begun and that somebody needs to own that relationship, whether it is that quote recruiter or whatever we want to call them, um, whether they continue to have that relationship or it gets handed off to a group that really focuses on on retention. Um, but absolutely, you're right. It's amazing. You know, I've worked with companies that have 5% um, redeployment rates, like IT companies, and Tracy could probably speak to this, but, but um, you know, 5% redeployment. I know I'm going to have this person for six months on there, and I don't talk to them to get see if I can place them again. It's, it's crazy. Tracy, you were going to say something. That goes back to the old sales style of selling too, right? If you've got somebody you know that's going to end in six months, what did we used to do? We would call five months in. Do you still need this person? Because guess what? I am going to start marketing them for another opportunity. And how many times did the client say, no, no, we need them. We need to keep right. them for another three or four months. So that's that part. And then those individuals are your NPCs, right? That's right who asked the question, look at the people you have on contract. Lisa brings up an excellent, excellent point. See where their end dates are and then start selling those candidates to new clients. They've already proven themselves. You can go to somebody and say, hey, listen, I got this person coming off of an assignment for six months. They're getting great reviews. Would you have any interest in talking to them? Write a first refusal here. You want to look at them? If you don't, no problem. I'll go to the next one. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's very powerful to go. Yeah, there's a there's proof that they already have been able to do this. I'll be happy to talk to them. We've got uh, about five minutes and I do want to kind of wrap up and just talk a little bit about 
What do you guys see with the future of staffing? What do you think the next six, we kind of talked about six months and, and beyond, but, but down further down the road, what do you think, what do you think staffing, where, where are we going with this? Are we all going to just be cloud staffing companies? Are we going to? No, no, okay. no. <laughs> no. I, I even look at chat GPT and people talk about, it could do this and it could do that. And I'm like, well, first off, let's establish one clear fact. Technology accompanies a good person. It doesn't typically replace them. In fact, anytime that it has, it's just given us kind of better jobs. But at the end of the day, it is incredible the subtlety of humanity. Uh, the, the, when you're talking to somebody and you're interviewing them and they're sitting forward and they're looking at you and they're asking questions and you start to forget that they don't even have the experience anymore because you're so blown away by who they are that you can't wait to hire them and you do hire them and they blow you away. And then the next person comes in, their resume is loaded with everything you've ever wanted and you're interviewing them like, I wouldn't work with this person if you paid me a million dollars to hire them. So I think that's the part that the experience of trust of what does a human bring to the equation? And I think staffing companies need to constantly make sure that that it's not about being the fastest to give a candidate. If you gave somebody a really terrible candidate, you know, you just ruined your reputation. It's your ability to stand behind somebody, put your name on them and go, man, I know a good person when I'm seeing them and this person's it. And I know they don't have everything that you want, but we've already done the research on that. We've placed five people like this who also didn't have the same skill set and they smoked this assignment as well. And I'm, gonna, I'm willing to stand behind this person with a voucher. Like, that's what we're going to need in the future because as labor continues to be a constrained resource, I know it's hard to look at this right now in you know, March of 2023 and see this, but it's, it's around us everywhere. It's not going to take much of a flex on that very tight rope to make this really tight again. So be really good at the human aspects of your job. Ron, you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. My husband is a software engineer and we talk about AI all the time. And we also talk about, you know, AI can't pick up the nuances, like, you know, looking at least shaking her head, she's agreeing to it. And all those things in the interview where you're like, yeah, you see somebody who's concerned or they don't give you the right answer. I mean, you nailed it. Good job. Yeah, and I look back at it as perspective of 40 years of all the different times that we were like, oh my gosh, they're not going to need us anymore. Think about when the job boards came out. Oh my gosh, they aren't going to need us anymore. They, they, even when VMS, MSP, oh my gosh, they're not going to do that. And now there's the platforms that you don't have the intervention as much with the, with the recruiter and that kind of thing. It, that takes up a, a portion of the market, but not the full market, right? And so I think, you know, as Ron says, it always just creates different kinds of jobs. It creates different kinds of opportunity. And so I, I have kind of found over the 40 years I've been in the business, about 60 to 70% of the business, truthfully, is the same as it was when I started in 1984. And then the rest of it is where it changes, how we deliver it, how we, how we connect with people, how we make things happen. But the human part is still important. And um, so I think that it will be different. And I think anybody that isn't willing to, to change, I think those that are willing to change and look at different ways and not be caught up in that will be the winners on this. And I think that's been the case for some time, but I, I do not think that we're gonna see the industry go away. It's continued to boom many, mm -hmm. yeah. many, many, many years. And I think it will continue to do that as, as long as the companies are willing to make the changes. Yeah, I think the, the um, I think the miss when people talk about like travel agents, they say, oh, well, we go the way of travel agents, which there still are travel agents out there. Um, I think that's a bad analogy. I think the realtor is a better analogy. Realtors, mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, the, the realty 
profession is lagging, has always kind of lagged behind on technology a bit, kind of like our industry has. Um, and yet it still continues to thrive. People get to a certain point and then they go, now I got to bring in somebody to help me finish this. And that's where I think we're going to be is I think we've got, you know, you don't want to, my advice to, to people in the industry is you don't want to be known for doing things that can be automated where AI can do it. You know, things like going out and sourcing just groups of candidates and sending out mass emails and doing, you know, anything that can be automated, that's not what you want to be. You, you want to have that expertise where it's your, um, you're able to identify and match talent together. You're able to, to pick up on the nuances. Um, if anything, I think all the technology is going to scale the best people and allow the industry to continue to grow. And empathy, empathy, yeah. right? Understanding. I mean, we as humans uh, struggle with various things throughout you know, our, our, our life and our career. And we need people who understand that and who's going to listen to that and give us advice and, and support us. And before we go, I did want to say that this week, ASA will be publishing the full year employment revenue data for the industry in 2022. Um, last year, we employed 14 million American men and women in our industry, 14 million. So huge industry. And we're going to continue to play an important and even greater role um, in the future as we move forward. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you all. This has been a, a great discussion. I knew it would be. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to wrap up. I just had a couple of things. Um, if you missed any of our past episodes or want to revisit them, you can find recordings of our discussions on popular podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to sign up for our next live panel cast discussion on Tuesday, May 9th, where we're going to talk about sales and marketing. So uh, that, that'll be a timely one as well. I'm excited about that. Uh, you can sign up for the next Staffing in Sync, as well as access a video library of our past sessions on our website, staffinginsync.com. Uh, and I also want to let everybody know, and I want to want to do a big shout out and a thank you. Staffing in Sync is produced and sponsored by SyncStream Solutions. They are the top provider of the Affordable Care Act compliance for the staffing industry and Essential Staff Care, the largest provider of health insurance and benefits for the staffing industry. So thank you to my panelists. It was awesome, like I knew it would be. Thank you for all those that attended and uh, have a great rest of the week. We'll see you. Thank you for the inclusion. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Staffing in Sync. We hope you found our discussion insightful and informative. If you missed any of our past episodes or want to revisit them, you can find recordings of our discussions on popular podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as on our website. To stay up to date on the latest trends and insights in the staffing industry, be sure to sign up for our next live panel cast discussion. You can find all the details and sign up on our website at staffinginsync.com. Thank you again for your support, and we look forward to having you join us again soon on Staffing in Sync.